Hello, Upchuckers. How are you? I promised Aaron I would put one of these up, and tonight I watched a very interesting movie from my birth year, 1985. For those of you who have followed our Facebook page, you noticed that Aaron had put out a general request for a year and we would randomly pick a movie. Nobody picked 1985, but because it was my birth year and following the initiative of my girlfriend who picked her birth year of 1988, I decided to kind of break the rules a bit and pick my own birth year. And uh, it was kind of inspired by, uh, by Aaron's uh, choice of watching the movie Less Than Zero and... I know he really holds that movie in high regard. I personally think it's a good film. I don't put a ton of stock into it. I think there was some bad direction errors in that movie. And to be honest, the earlier, younger Robert Downey Jr. and James Spader never really interested me. So I, uh, I came across this movie called Tough Turf. And tough is spelled T-U-F-F. Yeah, really original. This kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it's hard to describe and put it into a genre. It's kind of like teen, angsty, crime, thriller, drama. It, it kind of encompasses all of those, like, well, like a John Hughes film. I guess that's the best way to put it. You know, it, it had that kind of feel. And, uh... Funnily enough, James Spader is the star, and Robert Downey Jr. is is a co-star, I guess. His screen time isn't uh, isn't huge. It's really a character study of James Spader and uh, Kim Richards' character, whose name is Frankie in the movie. And Kim Richards' little, uh, well, more popular definitely in the 70s and the 80s, known for um, Meatballs 2 and other movies like that. Uh, but Tough Turf, I, I, I got to be honest, I had never heard of it before tonight, and I wish I never did. And, <laughs> and this is this is hopefully going to be the first part to a two-parter. I, um, I texted Aaron after I was done watching the movie with just the word horrible, because that's how I felt. I, I felt horrible watching it, and I... Uh, I was almost tricked into liking it until about the last 15, 20 minutes, and then I knew that it was, it was definitely not the movie I, <laughs> I signed up for, which, you know, to be fair and to be honest, again, hearkening back to the less than zero craze, I, they're not my favorite actors. I don't care for Robert Downey Jr. I, I never really bought into the whole Iron Man craze. I, I know that's going to get me a lot of heat. I know there's a lot of rabid Avengers fans out there. I think Avengers is a great movie. I just, I'm not 100% behind Robert Downey Jr. as a casting choice. I think Robert Downey Jr. is is remarkable at what he he can do in in certain roles. And I, I respect him as a human being coming back from the depths of drug abuse and uh, a really kind of shadowed career. Uh, but this, this, movie, this movie just kind of brought back all the bad memories of Robert Downey Jr. from that, uh, that 80s era where he was in, you know, like Weird Science and, just, you know, other like Less Than Zero kind of movies. James Spader... <laughs> 
is pretty young in this film. I, I, I got to say he's in his mid-20s, as well as Robert Downey Jr. is as well. And it, the, whole, the whole plot begins, and we're introduced to James Spader's character, whose name is Morgan. And he's riding a bike. He's riding a bike in the middle of the night. And there's this 80s synth pop kind of music in the opening credits as he's riding his bike. We don't know where he's going. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know why he's doing this in the middle of the night. But the music is is really pounding during these opening credits, and we're getting close shots of his uh, his bike spokes and whatnot. And he's yeah, he's dry. He's just pedaling away to this to the song, which which is a good song choice. I don't I don't know the name of it. I haven't done my research. Oh, shame on me. Aaron's probably gonna peg me on that. But uh, he's he's pedaling away on this bike and then we have a cut scene after the opening credits it's a quick cut jump to a kim richards character whose name is frankie in the movie which i already mentioned earlier and she is <laughs> she's at first i thought she was a prostitute because she's on you know like the street corner and she's walking up to this guy who's like just peering across the street and she walks up to him and asks him for change for a five. And the guy, you know, readily opens up his wallet because I think he has a thing for her and um, is going to make change for her for the five. Well, as she starts getting the change, the guy says, you know, are you out here all alone? And uh, we can see that she's making eye contact across the street with um, with some hoods. There's one guy who's spray painting on the wall, and she makes eye contact with, with who appears to be the lead hood. And she she says, foreshadowing, that no, she's not alone. She's like, I got you, um, meaning... She was talking about the guy who was making the change, but uh, she was just a clever little plant, and the the hoods make their way over, pulling switchblades as they're crossing the street, and then sneak up on this guy and throw him against the the chain link and start to mug him for his money, which you know he seems to have a lot of. Well, before they can get the full cash from this this poor guy that they've they've just basically, you know, assaulted and and robbed. Morgan's character comes uh screaming through the night and he uh he's got a, a can of Pepsi or a can of Tab maybe back in that day, a can of cola of some sort and he's shaking it and he sprays one of the hoods in the eyes causing him to get blinded and then he uh he like he swats at the lead hood, distracting him, and um, the other hood like swings and hits another hood. It, it's just so comical, and and he rides by, you know, being the hero. The guy runs off, uh, who is getting robbed, and he runs off into the night. And then we have our first first glimpse of you know this this Morgan character that James Spader plays. And his kind of his his virtues and his his sensibilities, and Frankie, played by Kim Richards, looks at James Spader as he's going by, and she kind of smirks, and uh, and I, you know, that's typical kind of '80s foreshadowing there that we know that there's going to be another encounter between these two. So, 
probably romantic, <laughs> and no doubt it, it does become a romantic uh, tryst. And that's really the whole kind of setup for what is to come. The next morning, we find out that James Spader's character had just moved into town. It's some kind of Californian suburb. Um, I, I think it's Southern California, and he had just moved there from Connecticut. He, and his parents are, or were, in this case, affluent people from Connecticut, and they moved out to California, and we come to find out the reasoning behind that is so that James Spader's character, Morgan, has a fresh start. We don't know what he did back in Connecticut. We never really know, except that he got into a lot of trouble, and it seems like it's something that they do quite often as they bounce from school to school trying to find. They, they try to find Morgan a proper education, something to tear him away from trouble and whatnot. And his father has taken a, a taxi job, which comes into play later. I'll explain that as we get to it. So James Spader is starting this new school, and he comes tooling in on his, his trusty bike, his really uh, expensive bike, and he's riding around in, like, circles, and there's a security guard at a school who's, like, giving him guff, and he's like, yeah, you, you know, you can't ride around here. He's like, take that over to the bike rack. No riding on school grounds. So he's, like, doing a couple more ride-arounds, and then he finally takes the, the bike over to the bike rack, and he puts it in there. Well... Come to find out, we get another little jump cut. We see the lead hood from the night before who had done the mugging and uh, Kim Richards again looking over at at Morgan and they, they put two and two together and they realize that that's the guy from last night that uh, had botched their, their mugging. So <laughs> they see him on the bike and they see the bike rack get parked in there. James Spader gets a little talking to from the principal and the principal says, you know, I... I have high hopes for you. It looks like you have a, a, a high prep school marking from your previous school, but stay out of trouble. You know, these kind of 80s tropes. We, we see a, a, a little quick scene between James Spader and Robert Downey. They're in class together, and Robert Downey's character has given a switchblade to Morgan and has told him, you know, you, you're going to need this because you've pissed off the local gang. And, you know, he, he's, he's trying to hide the switchblade as the teacher comes over and all this stuff. But uh, the crux of it is, you know, protect yourself. And this relationship starts between James Spader and Robert Downey's character. And Robert Downey invites him to come see his band at a local warehouse. And James Spader agrees. You know, he loves music, so he wants to go out there and, uh, you know, his first friend. So all this stuff. But as he's going out to go get his bike, we see two two cars revving up, going around in a circle, and in the middle is Kim Richards and the lead hood from the night before, whose name we come to find out is Rick. And Rick is riding around in the middle of these cars that are doing like these shark circles around the, the expensive bike and taunting Morgan to come closer and, you know, hey, this is a nice bike and you don't mind if we take it for a little test spin. You know, all this like garbage that, you know, just is baiting James Spader to come in. So James Spader's getting closer and now 
one of the the hoodlums who's doing the shark circle with the car revs up the car and starts coming straight for James Spader, who b- barely misses James Spader. So now, now we have these hoods who have gone from just doing, you know, a normal kind of mugging scenario to now they're full on trying to go for, uh, for murder. Now, you know, just because the their their little mugging got botched, that's grounds for murder, which. <laughs> That starts this whole never-ending roller coaster of BS in this entire movie. And, you know, James Spader, he finally gets to his bike, and there's this little, like, face-off between him and and Rick, the the lead hood, and they kind of just look at each other, and James Spader grabs his bike, and then the kid who tried to just murder him with his car comes right back at him, again, full speed, like, you know, whatnot, but James Spader doesn't flinch. He's, like, holding his bike to the side. And as this car comes up, it swerves and causes this, this slow-motion replay of the, the bike just getting mangled. It gets thrown up into the air because of the impact of the car, and then it comes down, and the bike gets just utterly mangled. And Rick says, hey, I'm really sorry about that, you know, being completely insincere. And Kim Richards' character says, well, he said he's sorry, and then they just take off. And... And we see, you know, James Spader just standing there befuddled, and he picks up the the bike and, and goes home with it. And then we're introduced to his parents, again, the taxi driver, his father, and his mother, who apparently likes her other son better because he has always been the the poster child for a good son. And he does... You know, does what he's told. He doesn't get into trouble, but he's back in Connecticut. So they're out here with, you know, the troublemaker son, and he's uh, he's getting chewed out by his mother because she's like, what happened to your bike? And he's like, nothing, you know. And then he gets smart with his, with his father, and, and his mother tries to stick up for his father, and then she goes off in a huff because James Spader is being nasty and yada, yada. But we see this first inklings of strained relationships and, you know, this recurring theme of, you know, it seems like Morgan is closer to his dad and Morgan's brother in Connecticut is closer to his mom. And, you know, he, he desperately wants to try to amend his relationship with his mom, but he, he never really can. And it's, I, I'm not going to go through the whole plot. I, I'm just going to, I, I know I started to, but it, it doesn't seem like I need to at this point. You, you can already kind of tell that, <laughs> I don't know, I, I, the movie itself, it really had me. It, it really had me for the first half hour. I was getting into the story, and the first kind of strike against it was the whole the maiming by way of car, uh, the attempted maim by car was what really started to throw me. Like, I, I don't understand. You know, I get that the hood is an evil character, and we come to find out he's a real evil bastard later on. And the next thing, we know, like I said earlier, James Spader's character is now infatuated with the Hood's girlfriend, Kim Richards' character, and he tries, he just tries to woo her through the entire film, and they go into 
they go into a country club and they pose as affluent children of rich people in Beverly Hills, I'm assuming some kind of neighborhood like that in California. And really, probably one of the, the better scenes in the movie is is James Spader, you know, kind of mimicking what he had come from in Connecticut. And it does a good job. And like everybody in that scene, it, it was a nice glimpse into 80s affluent rich kid ideals. But like anything, the the plot begins to fall apart. As James Spader gets closer to Kim Richards' character, the character of Rick, the main hoodlum, starts to get more and more jealous. And it turns into just this outrageous kind of tug of war between James Spader and and the main hood on Kim Richards' character. Kim Richards really likes James Spader's character. They they warm up to each other when they pose up as the rich kids in this country club. When they sneak into this country club, they they start to really have a connection with each other. James Spader sings to her, which was, to me was really kind of uncomfortable. I not that it was a bad song, and apparently James Spader really sung it from what I've found out. I mean, he's got a nice voice, and really one of the... If I if I could give anything a plus in this movie, I think the soundtrack and the music was well done. And that might be me just being partial. I, I do overly enjoy 80s music, but I, I it was a really kind of sweet scene between Kim Richards and James Spader, really cementing the kind of similarities that the two had. Kim Richards being the, the oddball in her group of friends and the one that doesn't really fit in to the hood lifestyle. And then you have Morgan, James Spader's character, who doesn't really fit into his his lifestyle that was given to him in Connecticut. So there's this this attraction between the two and and I think they really cemented home in the country club scene. Everything after the country club scene is pretty much Rick flying off the handle because James Spader and her have been spending too much time together and nobody takes his property and this really kind of macho, chauvinistic kind of thing. And this guy, he is just, he's utter evil. The character is just so over the top. And he was well acted, don't get me wrong. But that's this movie just continues to downward spiral from there. And there's these these weird scenes of Rick just getting overly jealous and angry and and you're not sure. You know, he's he's dangerous. He's dangerous. Him and his hoodlums have a, a blanket party on Morgan. They wrap up keys in a towel and start smacking the hell out of him. A really brutal scene leaves welts and cuts on his back. And funnily enough, in this scene, brutal Rick causes you know, he stops the mayhem from going. I thought they were just going to beat him to death in the shower. And then that would have been the end of the movie. That would have been an okay movie. I would have been okay with that. But no, it goes on for about another hour after that. That was just his warning, you know, stay away from my girl, stay away from my property. Punches him, it punches Morgan in the face, and then he leaves, leaving him in a bloody mess. Well, if that wasn't enough, about three scenes later, after Morgan 
goes to Kim Richards' character's house and tells her to come over to his house for dinner to meet his family. And Rick, the hoodlum's there, coming to take Kim Richards' character out. I I hate when I call them character. I should just call them their names in the movie. So Morgan, Morgan and Frankie, right? That's the relationship. That's Morgan, James Spader, and Kim Richards' character, who is Frankie. So Morgan wants Frankie to come over for dinner, meet his family, and Rick, the hoodlum downstairs is is calling up and saying you know hey Frankie where are you and she's she's pleading with James Spader to leave and the only way to get him to leave is to affirm that she's coming to dinner which he which she does so from there they're having dinner and then we see the whole you know it's never gonna work kind of thing I'm a jet, you're a shark kind of stuff from West Side Story. And the mother's asking questions, and she makes a faux pas and asks about Frankie's mother, who's dead, and causes Frankie to fly off the handle. And then she she gets back with, the, with Rick, who wants to marry her at this point. And Rick knows that Frankie was over at Morgan's house for dinner, and he's not happy about it. And he also knows that Morgan's father is a taxi driver, like I said earlier. So they they come up, and they're driving around, they're driving around, and Rick's out of gas. And Rick makes a play, stops in front of a taxi, uh, across the street from a taxi cab, and says, hey, Frankie, why don't you go over there and, and pawn this watch to that taxi driver for some cash for gas? So she does, and she gets out of the car, and she sees that... The taxi driver is Morgan's father, and she's nervous because she knows that Rick knows that uh, Frankie was over at Morgan's house for dinner. And she comes back in the car, and she says she can't pawn the watch, which prompts Rick to go off and say, you know, why why can't you? And uh, she uh, she's she doesn't say anything, and she's well, she makes up a BS excuse like, no, I gave you this watch, and he says, oh, no, you can't do it because it's it's Morgan's father, right? And then she starts breaking down, and he's like, you go out there, and you go pawn that watch, and he just shoves her out of the car. Like, he's he's just, like, completely out of control now. And he wa- she walks over there, and she starts telling him he needs to leave, but before she's trying to give a warning to Morgan's father, but before she can tell him exactly what's going on, he finds out what's going on. And Rick and his gang of hoodlums just, like, jump him and start beating the hell out of him. But Morgan's father's putting up a fight, and he's throwing around Rick, and he's throwing around the other hoods, and he's throwing punches. But then, then... Rick pulls out, he pulls out a six-shooter, he pulls out a, a revolver and just blasts two shots into Morgan's father. And Frankie's like bawling her eyes out and Rick is is stunned and he's in shock, but you could tell that he's he's just, he's insane at this point. He's He's nuts. And he wanted to do it. So they all take off and then we have a little... A little scene in the hospital with Morgan and his father, who's in, you know, ICU. And and then Frankie comes into into the hospital where Morgan is and Morgan's dead. And she starts crying and she says, I'm so sorry and, and all of this. And, you know, it, it seems like they're together and they know that they need to be together. <laughs> the next day or sometime after that, Frankie's father who owns like a convenience store, something like that, like a newspaper shop, 
gets attacked by Rick and he like he goes ballistic and he starts smacking Frankie in front of the father who you know the father was all excited that Rick wanted to marry her but now like Rick's gone off the deep end and he's throwing punches at him throwing punches and you know he's like like throwing throwing Frankie's dad through magazine stands and just wrecking the store and he and he's gone nuts and he forces Frankie to call Morgan and say, meet me at the warehouse in 20 minutes or, or I'm going to, if you know, nobody takes my property and I'll kill her if I have to. So this prompts Morgan to go to the warehouse and he's armed with like, I think they're like two BB guns, two paintball guns or something like that. He manages to get one of the hoods out of the way, but then there's this like, knockout drag out murder brawl between him and and Rick between Morgan and Rick there's this like fight to the kind of death that's what it seems like Morgan's swinging at him with an axe Rick's swinging at him with uh, Rick's has the gun still at this point so you know he's threatening to like shoot him but James Spader and him are trading blows James Spader's character again I'm sorry with the character stuff Morgan is throwing punches at Rick and knock, he knocks the gun out of his hand. And then they're just like using just brutal kind of melee weapons that they find around the warehouse. Rick is like hitting him with a board with nails. And like I said, Morgan finds an axe and just like cuts down the board. And then he's like swinging the axe at Rick. And Rick is like really scared at this point. And then they manage to like get up to the top floor and they have this one final last brawl and just start throwing some punches and Morgan knocks Rick down. And it seems like it's all's good because he's beat the tar out of Rick and they, you know, it looks like we're going to have a happy ending. I would have been happy if it ended there, but like any good 80s movie, you, you never really kill the villain. The villain, Rick, gets back up and takes a swing at... At Morgan with like a two by four or or a bat, I can't tell. It, it was weird camera angles on that. And before before he can get a good swing on him, Frankie warns Morgan that Rick's behind him, and he turns around just in time and he does like this double axe handle and knocks him off the railing. And Rick plummets to his assumed death quote-unquote, or until, you know, uh, oh, Robert Downey Jr. arrives with reinforcements because all the hoods are in there, too, and then they get, like, uh, chased off by Robert Downey's Dobermans or these attack dogs that he brought in. And Robert Downey's character, who I don't know the name of, so I'm just going to call him Robert Downey's character, is shot by shot by Rick before, you know, the whole knockout, drag-out brawl. And then we have, after he knocks Rick down and his supposed death or arrest, or we never really find out, there's a cut scene back to an earlier scene. Well, not it's, it's not a, a flashback or anything. It's just a cut to where Morgan and Frankie were at an earlier scene where they really enjoyed some music. And it's just like this music during the credits, and they're having fun and they're dancing after this horrific brawl and and murder and you know there's no questioning no reality in the situation it's just you know end end of movie everybody's happy rick's supposedly dead or in jail and we're we're back to normal everything's right 
Morgan and Frankie are together, and everything's going to be okay. And and it's just all of these unanswered questions. And I, I know this was drawn out, but so was the movie. The movie was just so ridiculous. And I know I said I wasn't going to go into plot, but you kind of have to with this movie because that's where it falls apart for me. That's where I would say if if I was rating this, if we had done an, a full-blown episode on this on Upchuck, this would, this would easily be a five for me. And, and I'm praying and I'm hoping that Aaron comes back with at least a four. I, somewhere inside me, though, I know it's going to be probably a three. He's not going to be upset with it, and he's going to give it some accolades for its time. But everything I have seen on this is is kind of praising it. You know, like IMDb gives it a high rating. I think a lot of critics were okay with it. And the only critic that wasn't okay with it was Roger Ebert. So there's got to be something said for that. But for me, it was just so nonsensical. And it kind of, it just culminated in, it really just culminated for me in those last 20 minutes where I just kind of looked at myself and said, now it's just, it's farcical. It's just over-the-top 80s nonsense. Rick is, he just has no regard for human life anymore. He just, he's, he's gone. He's consumed with just hate and rage. And there's no consequences to any of his actions. And it's, it's, it's no longer a reality movie for me. That's not grounded in reality because he's just, he's completely nuts. And people, I don't think people behave this way. <sighs> It's just it's just so upsetting because I really wanted to like the movie and I really I enjoyed the music. I thought the soundtrack was good, but at the end of the day it just comes back to this this whole roller coaster of rage that's experienced by Rick and just the the whole angsty overtones of of Morgan of James Spader and of Kim and, uh, and all this stuff when they're in, you know, they're probably seniors in high school and they're, they're going through this stuff like it's just another day. And to me, I, I, I got to call bullshit on it. It's just, it's so not worth anybody's time. So if you get anything out of my rambling, thank you so much. Can't wait for part two. I hope Aaron comes back and he really loves it. And this will be one of those things where it'll be the reverse 13 ghosts. That's what it'll be because Aaron will love it and I'll hate it. And I'm going to, I'm going to just give him shit about it then. So thank you again, guys. Again, it's, it's a Monday night and I just wanted to throw some stuff onto the microphone. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm working on like a side series to Upchuck. Um, I'm trying to do by myself, and I'll probably have Aaron or Rob on it maybe one or two times or a couple of times, but I really want to focus on the stuff that never makes it to official Upchuck episodes, real kind of B-movie, Z-grade movie stuff that's, that's just bad, the kind of stuff that we wouldn't touch. So I'm affectionately calling it the indigestibles. And I'm hoping I'm going to release the first episode to that relatively soon within the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. 
As always, guys, please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher. Subscribe, subscribe, comment. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you hate. At, you know, we just want the feedback. We, we love doing this for you guys. And we, we kicked off season two a couple of weeks ago. And hopefully that episode will be coming out pretty soon. And we're looking forward to doing many more seasons with you guys and, uh, and gals. I know we have a female viewership out there, too. And I, I'm, really, I'm really excited for what's, what's to come in the future. And I'm really, really excited for part two of this podcast. So thanks a lot, guys. Uh, keep on chucking. Later. <laughs>